0: Flip your bulletins back over, and we are in week number six. We have one more week. Next week is going to be kind of an add-on. It's going to be the most encouraging uh, message in this series, in our series Sexodus. But if you haven't been here up to this point, you can go online and catch up anytime during the week. But we've been taking a journey uh, through the first... uh, books of the Bible, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we might get to, and and Joshua, a journey with God's people from slavery to the promised land, and we've been connecting different aspects of their trip with, with aspects of relationships, and so we've hit on sex, and we've hit on getting prepared to be married, and we've hit on getting godly advice, and we've hit on, most importantly, how Jesus has to be the door of your life, which filters in and out everything, all good and bad decisions. If you're a female, he should set the bar for who you allow in your life, what you expect. If you're a male, he should set the bar for the type of husband that you're going to be, future father and leader of your home. And so that's where we've been. Uh, Last week, we kind of started talking, this is part two of last week, we started talking about marriage and how if I were to use a word uh, to describe marriage that would make marriages last, it would be the word fight. And not in a bad way, not like you're going to fight with your spouse, because many of you know that's, that's true. Can I get an amen on that at both campuses? You are going to fight with your spouse, but there's also going to be times when you're going to be called to fight for your spouse. And, and I think that in any marriage, there's going to come seasons in your marriage where you're going to be called to do that. So if you're going to be successful, you have to fight. And you remember our key element or our key point was the battle is the Lord's. You saw that last week. He said, I'm, you're at the promised land. The battle is mine. I'm promising you this land. But you're going to have to go fight. And I told you that in many of our marriages that we need to understand the battle is the Lord's. The promises of the Bible are yes and amen, but we're going to have to, to fight. So I challenged you last week to fight. This is part number number two, because the opposite of choosing to fight is deciding to wander. The, the opposite of choosing to fight is deciding to wander. So the title of today's message is Don't Wander." the opposite of fighting is wandering. Check out what happens if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 14, and check out what happens next. You'll you'll remember, they come back and they say, there's giants in the land, that there's too much going on there, we can't go fight, and God basically uh, gets really mad at them because He's like, I've parted the Red Sea, I've taken you from Egypt, I sent a death angel, I've given you manna, I've got you to the promised land, I've told you with my mouth that the battle is mine, I'm giving it to you, all you got to do is go fight. And the Bible says they refuse to fight. In fact, they turn on each other. So I want you to look at Exodus chapter 14, verse number 20. This is what the Bible says. It says, the Lord replied. I don't want you to remember this. This is very key. The Lord replied. He's talking back to Moses, essentially uh, for about the umpteenth time, if that's even a a number. God gets mad at the the people, and he goes, all right, I'm done with you. Uh, I'm done with you. I'm I'm tired. I'm just going to get rid of you. Moses goes, don't do it, God. Because Egypt is going to make fun of us if you kill everybody off. So please have mercy. And so for about the millionth time, and this is the story of my life. I don't know if it's the story of your life. I'm sure God has had these decisions in his life when it's like, okay, enough is enough. It's time to get rid of Steve. And then God, the Bible says, his mercies are new every morning. And this is what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 14, verse number 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you have asked. I want you to remember that. Because if, if we talk about something today... And it's affecting you because you've already been to this place. I want you to remember that the Lord still forgives you. That the forgiveness of the Lord is is still here. And so he says, before anything starts, I'm going to forgive them. But, but then he talks to them a little bit. He says, nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised an oath to their ancestors. He says, not one of these people, the right there on the precipice of the promised land, this wasn't a long journey. In fact, they've been camped out here for 40 days. That's it. They're about to go. And he says, okay, I'm choosing to forgive you, but because you won't fight, you're going to wander. And then he keeps going. He says this, this, is not, no one has treated me with contempt will ever see it, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to and his descendants will, de- will inherit it. Verse 26 says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them, as surely as I live, it's like he's telling them one more time, just remember this, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In the wilderness your bodies will fall. Every one of you who is 20 years old or more, who has, was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you, is going into the promised land. Everybody who's 20 and older, except for Caleb, and you'll see a little bit later, he's going to say in this scripture, and Joshua, the two spies that said, we can do it. The battle is the Lord's, we got to fight. Every other person, even Moses, over the age of 20, because they refused to fight, would wander and die in the wilderness, and I started thinking to myself, because marriage is described and shown in our culture as something of a of a contract where you do for me and I do for you, and, and it 's kind of not this lifelong uh, goal and you, you, know, you get married, but it 's always with a kind of a way out in case this person Be- because that happens, many of us, because we don 't go in with right understanding, will choose to wander. Many of us will wander through life in fact, thirty to sixty percent statistics tell us now i 'm not a big statistics person because i 'm not sure who actually did his statistics, but Google, and I think Google knows pretty much everything, right? Google says 30 to 60% of all people in America will choose to wander in their marriage at some point. 30 to 60%, and here's what's even scarier to me, stats say that the highest group of, of infidelity in America happens in people under the age of 30. And, and scientists or whoever, a lot of people smarter than me, they think the reason is, is because of the culture that we live in that's so promiscuous, where we hook up and break up and hook up and break up, essentially being trained to never be faithful and fight for your spouse when, tough get, when stuff gets hard, you just wonder. And I can tell you the weird thing about all those stats, and the weird thing about how we don't choose to fight is nobody stands at the altar and goes, you know what, someday I'm going to cheat on this person. I just did a wedding yesterday, and weirdly enough, in my vows, it wasn't, you know, for better or, or in, until you get fat, and, and I'm breaking up with you, or for better and, and until you get bald, or for, for better and until you annoy me, or for better, uh, and it, or it, it wasn't like that. It was like, for better or for worse, and, sick and, and for sick and poor, and, and, and good times and bad times, I'm sticking with you, and by the way, someday I might cheat on you. It was like, no, forever, but yet 30 to 60%, I'm not sure that the number, will one day choose to, to wander from their spouse. And some of it is like, hello, it's coming, and I can show you it's coming. Like, if you want to have an affair, I can give you the steps to it today, just in case you were, you were thinking about it. Like, like here's some steps to an affair if, if, you were, if you were kind of worried about it. I advise you right now just to neglect your marriage. Just go ahead and do it. Just totally neglect it. Just, you know, just just push that person off to the side. You've got it, you've conquered, they stink now. Just don't worry about them. Another thing you can do is you can enjoy common interests with somebody of the opposite sex. Like that, that to me is a great step towards an affair. Just if you were wondering. Like hang out with them. Spend time with them. Talk to them. In fact, talk to them about your spouse because great counsel always comes from a person who's thinking about cheating with you from their spouse. Like that is great counsel right there. Or great counsel always comes from a dude that's willing to talk to you about your husband even though he's not married and he's been single for 30 years. Like great counsel always comes from there. You know I'm playing right now, correct? Some of you are like, stop stop that. Here's some more, some more ways. Anticipate your time together with that person. You know, one of the funniest things in the world to me is, is I've told you this before. Sometimes I'll see people's wedding pictures and I'll be like, who's that? Like, who are those two people? And they're like, well, that was us. And then we got married and then life happened and we started getting comfortable. And I'm like, well, well, no, 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 no. You looked that good. On the day you got married, well, yeah, we had to impress because, you know, I had to be in my manthong that night. And so I was, like, really working it. As soon as you get married, you're like, you look totally different. And then the weirdest thing in the world is, and, and I've been around, you see people, they kind of start to neglect their marriage. All of a sudden, they get good looking again. But they're not getting good looking for that person. They're getting good looking because they met somebody in their office and they hang out with them and talk to them. And they're anticipating their time together. Anticipate your time with that person. Flirt whenever possible. Put pictures of yourself online whenever possible. Take pictures of your legs as you're laying on the the beach. The weirdest pictures in the history. (laughs) Feet are so nasty. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Like there's no redeeming that picture. Flirt whenever possible and then make excuses and rationalize it. Like today as I'm talking to you, make an excuse and rationalize it. I want to take you into a story Where this exact thing happens. There's a man named David in in the Bible. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you ever read the Bible. You know David is. He's a kill Goliath. He's a great warrior. Uh, the Bible would, want, would one day call him a man after God's own heart. He was just a, a good dude. But, but another thing about David, and this is what's going to be so encouraging to, about today's message, if you would just listen. And, and if you're not married, if you would just write these things down, because I guarantee you, you're going to have a choice if you want to fight or wander at some point. But the cool thing about David is even though that the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart, he was one, one of the greatest screw-ups that this world has ever seen. Like, like ridiculous screw-ups. So the Bible says that in, in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 11, it talks about kind of this decision that David made that would really affect the rest of his life. And some of us would go, how did a man after God's own heart get to this point? I want you to listen to it. 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war... David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Stop it right there. If if you've never read the Bible, you're like, that doesn't really seem like that big of a deal. The Bible says, when the kings go off to war, David's the king. Did you notice something really weird here? David's the king, and everybody's going off to war, but David's sending somebody else in his place. He's staying back, the Bible says, then they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba, But David remained in Jerusalem, the Bible says. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. Now, there's another thing you see right there. It's not saying like David went to bed and couldn't sleep. I'm under the impression that David's been in bed all day long. So he's supposed to be out fighting war. Instead, he's laying around in his bed watching reruns of MASH or whatever he's watching. And if you don't know what MASH is, you should Google. Like he's just hanging out watching Nick at night. And the Bible says at some point, he gets up for the very first time. Now, some of y'all are like 25 year old guys. You're like, that is a day right there. Like when you just lay around all day long, you haven't brushed your teeth, and you're going to get a bowl of fruity pebbles. And come back to your bed. That's a good day right there. Can I get an amen on, on, on that? That's what he's doing right here. He's supposed to be fighting, but he's been in bed all night. He's been lounging and hanging out. Then it says this, from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Now, I think that this is a known thing he's about to find. It wasn't like he was like, going up on the roof and just stretching it out and praying to God. He, he, he was the king, so his palace would have been the biggest building in the city. I don't think this was the first time that that he saw this. I think that he knew that this was going on. So he goes up on this roof after he's been laying in bed all day, supposed to be off to war. And the Bible says he sees a woman with his eyes bathing. He sees a woman naked. This is what the Bible says as we go. To the woman, she was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba. The daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Stop right there. David's playing dumb right here because Uriah is one of his best friends. He's seen this woman before. It's not like he's like, hey, who's that woman in the bath? Her name's Bathsheba, which is ironic to me, by the way. Hey, what's she doing? Is she married? You know she's married, bro, because Uriah is out fighting for you right now you've seen her a million times you know when she bathes you've been sleeping in bed all day you've been lazy you're supposed to be in war instead you're at this point in your life and it's not a shock because you have allowed it to come into your life it keeps going and David sent messengers to get her she came to him and because he's the king and he does whatever he wants the bible says he sleeps with her he sleeps with her then she went back home the woman conceived and sent word to David saying I'm pregnant. My dad used to always tell me when I was about 11, 12 years old, he would say, I I, I can't watch you all the time, but I just want you to know that your sins always find you out. I think it was a spiritual like throat punch to me, a threat with the Bible. We would go to, to Dorney Park when I was 13 years old, and I started stealing at the age of 13. I was evil. And I got caught, and I remember my mom was like crying. About me getting caught stealing, I was crying because I got caught stealing, I was crying because they were calling my mom and dad over the loudspeaker at Dorney Park, (laughs) Reverend Steve Dufresne, (laughs) Liz, I was more scared of my mom at that moment, and I was in the car and I remember driving home to, to Boyertown from Dorney Park, I've never been back to Dorney Park since then. And I remember driving back and, and my mom was crying and, you know, thinking I was going to be on America's Most Wanted. And I was going down this thing. And my, my dad said, I'm fine. I told you your sins are going to find you out. Your sins always find you out. They always find you out. It always gets worse. There's always consequences. So some of you say, how did David get there? H- how did he get to this slippery slope? I think you see it there. He's supposed to be at war. He's in bed all day. He's married at this point. The Bible says his wife's name is Michael. She's the daughter of Saul. And the Bible talks about her and how much that she loves David and is committed to David. And he has a wife that loves him, but instead he's in bed neglecting her. He ends up on the roof. And he sleeps with this woman. And the Bible says she conceives and he ends up killing Uriah off and trying to secretly marry this woman, their baby, ends up, um, end up dying. The legacy is, is, is made in his life. One of his sons ends up calling all sorts of chaos. One of his daughters, you'll keep reading the Bible, is raped by one of his sons. I mean, it's just an awful legacy that he allows to, to happen. So how do you get to this point? You ever read scriptures in the Bible when, and you read them and you're like, why is that in there? In the book of Deuteronomy, one book over, there's a verse that says, if you build a new house... You must construct a guardrail around your roof to avoid culpability to yourself in the event someone should fall from it. I wonder if David ever read that scripture. I'm sure he did. When you build a house, make sure you put a guardrail far enough away from the edge so that you're not tempted to see anyone bathing. If you you don't put it close to the edge, you won't be able to peer out and be a pervert, right? Right? put it closer I wonder if he ever read that and I started thinking to myself is there guardrails rails that you can put into place right now that are going to help you avoid wandering so here's three of them number one is this do whatever it takes number one to radically reduce the risk do whatever it takes to radically reduce the risk do whatever it takes you have a cell phone. You have problems with it. Get rid of the cell phone. You have a computer. You have a problem with it. Get rid of the computer. You have a, you have a problem watching things on TV that you're not supposed to be watching. Get rid of the TV. You have a problem with flirting with somebody at work. Quit your job. Somebody you like I can't quit my job. Let me tell you something. I heard it this week, and I think it's so powerful. It is much easier to find a new job than it is to find a new mother or father for your children. We live in a culture that could care less about that, to be honest. Well, my bosses want me to go hang out and talk to people. My bosses want me to do this, do whatever it takes to get rid of the risk of cheating. I've told you this story before, but many of you haven't been here for a long time. I read this illustration one time, and it said there was this young man who knew that there was this house in this certain part of the city where a prostitute lived. He knew that that's where guys went. To pay for sex. He knew the house. He knew the location. He knew everything. And so one night, he'd never been on the street. He knew the location. He wandered towards the street. Walked down her street. And without fail, she was standing at the entrance of her house. And he caught her eye. And she invited him in. And the Bible says, like a lamb to the slaughter, he went through the door. He goes up to her bedroom and he pays her and he sleeps with her. And I posed this question before. When did he make the biggest mistake? And some people would say when he goes in the house. I always tell you it's when he got on that road. See, long before you walk into the house of of an affair, you wander, you approach a road, and it's almost like, here it comes, get off the road. Like, get out of the way. Here's some warning signs. Here's the guardrails that you should should put into place. So, So here's just a couple that I would say that that would really help you, just really practically. Number one is this, is if you're a married person, keep a growing relationship with Christ. Did you know this? This is, this is going to amaze some of you. You either grow closer to Jesus or you grow farther away from him. Did you know that? Jesus doesn't ask you to love him. He asks you to follow him. And following means that he's continuing to move as you continue to, to follow To some of you, you know what I'm talking about because you were really close to Jesus because you were doing what you were supposed to do. You were following him and then you decided all of a sudden, you know what, I don't really know if you're right on that one. And you started walking the other way and you know, maybe you haven't experienced it yet, you know how easy it is to walk away from Jesus. I have never, ever in my life met two people, married people, that had a growing relationship with Jesus that experienced this pain in their marriage. I've met one where it's been one person or people where one person has been growing and the other person has been walking away. But I have never, ever, ever met or counseled or talked to somebody. We're both. We're growing in the relationship with Jesus. We're attending his house together. We're serving his kingdom. We're raising up the, their kids, pointing them towards Jesus. We're reading the word. We're praying. We're fasting. We're doing all the things that Jesus asked you to do to follow him where this has happened. It's typically you see the steps, they start to happen. One person stops really being faithful to the house of God. One person, because you feel condemned, John talked about it, you feel condemned. And so you just kind of start taking steps away. And the whole time Jesus is going, please come back. Please don't keep going there. Please don't keep making those decisions. Sometimes as a pastor, I feel like I'm watching a train wreck. And you see it coming. The tracks are getting wobbly and you just stand back and you're going, please don't keep going that way because I know what's coming. You need a growing relationship with Jesus. Here's another thing that I think is, is so important. Never be alone with the wrong people. Somebody say, who's the wrong people? The opposite sex. Period. Well, I work with this person. I got to go hang out with them and I got to talk to them and we got to be on the phone and we got to text and, and we just, that's just the way we work. Find a different job. Figure out something different. Some girls will say, Well, I just get along with guys, but let me tell you something, guys. If you're dating a girl and she consistently says that I get along with guys better than girls, what she's really telling you is she's insecure and she needs the affection of other males to make her feel secure. And you can figure this out real quickly if you just go on her Facebook page or her Instagram page and she claims to be a Christian, yet she's always putting duck face pictures on there trying to get the affection of other people telling her that she's pretty. What's the other reason for making a duck face? Come on, you gotta write that down. What is the other reason for making a duck face? What does the duck say, right? Never hang out with the wrong person. In in my marriage, we've made it a policy that we just don't. We just don't. We just, I'm not gonna counsel a, a single girl, I'm not gonna talk to a married girl, I'm not gonna talk about a husband. I always say, well, bring your husband in. My wife's not gonna hang out with some other guy. We just, we don't have that. If we're hanging out with somebody the opposite sex, we're hanging out together with them. Truthfully, my wife is the only girl that I do like. I don't even like the the female sex that much. Can I get an amen, guys? We don't understand them. We don't understand you. I don't get you. I don't get the duck face. I'm just kidding, I like you. Here's another one I think is so important. is never talk badly about your marriage with the wrong people, ever. You can go to a counselor if you want, but truthfully, if the other person's not there, the counselor's not going to fix them anyways. Never talk badly about them. And here's the last one. Avoid all inappropriate places and situations. Avoid all inappropriate places and situations. I wish I could have told David this. The roof is where I really like to go on the roof at nighttime after I've slept all day and look at the stars. No, you don't, bro. Avoid all inappropriate places. Some of you are like, I really like to have a cold beer after a long day. And so I go to the bar and there's nothing in the Bible that says that I shouldn't get drunk or I I shouldn't drink but I just shouldn't get drunk. So I just go there and I just like to hang out but my, my spouse isn't there yet there's a bunch of other drunk people there. Avoid all stupid places. Some girls are like, I'm married but I like to dance. My husband don't like to dance. And I like to go dancing, so I go to a nightclub, and I'm 35 years old. I'm that girl. Everybody else is 20. Like, what's this mom doing in here dancing? I just like to shake it. I mean, shake it at your house with your, your husband. Shake it, shake it, shake it. Shake it like your mama. It won't break it. That was good. It's <laughs> summer, so I had to say... Get rid of all risks, all risks. If you're a single person, you can start to get rid of all risks by protecting your eyes right now. Get rid of all risks. I watch movies, I know they have sex scenes in them and I know that I'm going to be tempted to look at them. Don't watch them. Just don't watch them. I, I'm, I, I, have, a, I have a computer and you know, I just, I just can't stop looking at porn. Get rid of your computer. I just have a heart, like get yourself, some of you are single, you're, you're preparing yourself to wander right now by the way that you act. And you're preparing yourself on the flip side to fight by the way that you fight right now. I'm not gonna lust right now, why? Because I am preparing myself to make my spouse the standard of beauty. Avoid all risks. Number two is this, is if you're married, invest passionately in your current marriage. I mean, David's married. In fact, I read this week, there's only one time in the Bible that describes a woman's love for a man and names her, and that's Michael. She loved David. And here's David loofing around in the bed, just hanging out, sleeping when he should be to war, not investing in his marriage. And I think it's so weird that what you do to get that person after you get married, you completely stop doing. Invest in your marriage, don't take any shortcuts. I read a story this week about a husband and a wife, and you know, before you date, you're not cheap at all, but as soon as you get married and and you do all that stuff, husbands sometimes get cheap. They're like, you really need that face cream again? You really need that wrinkle cream, girl? Do you need the hairspray? Like, before you're married, you're like, get whatever you want. Be as hot as you want to be after you get married. After you're married, you're like, nah, you look fine in those sweatpants, right? Don't do it, but, and so you start start to kind of cut corners and not invest, and so this married couple pulled into this drive-in movie theater, and and they stopped about a block out, and the husband jumps out of the passenger seat, and the the wife says, what are you doing? He said, we're only paying for one person a night. He said, so either you get in the trunk, or I get in the trunk, but one of us is getting in the trunk. He said, since I'm in the passenger seat, and the chair is already sit to my level, you get in the trunk. So his wife goes running around and gets in the trunk, they, they, they get in and they close the door and they pull into the, to the to movie and they pay for one and they get to their spot and he goes to let his wife out and he realized that his wife carried her purse into the, the trunk with her and she had the only key to the trunk in her purse. All of a sudden he has to make a decision, do I watch this movie that I paid for and just figure this out later? Or do I get my wife out? And so he decided I'm going to try to get my wife out. So he had to call uh, AAA to come get it. They had to crank open the trunk. By the time that they they got her out, there was humiliation. She was angry because her her hair was all messed up. She was sweaty. And all this humiliation. And if he just would have invested into his marriage the way that he invested into his relationship. See, can I teach you something? What you invest in is what becomes important to you. What you invest in... Is what's important to you. I have a mutual fund that I invest money into every month. And I care about it. I look at it. I like to see it going up. If you know, I don't know much about it. I just want it to go up. I want it to make money. So I'm looking. If you brought me your mutual fund thing, and you said, look, look at what, look what it's doing, I'm going, dude, I don't care, why? Because my money's not in it. But when you put your money into something, it becomes a priority to you. The same is true for your relationships. When you put an investment into your marriage, that marriage becomes important to you. And so you should be investing things like your time and, and your touch and your thought. And so instead of choosing to wander, just have an affair with your spouse. Seriously, cheat with your spouse. What I mean by that is if you're thinking about, if you're a woman, I'm going to get my nails done, and, and I'm going to go to the gym, and I'm going to do all these things, and I'm going to do the things that I used to do and that the, before I got this, this bum, and I'm going to put this effort in, and you're thinking about doing all these things because you're about to get an upgrade, instead... Have an affair with your husband. Send him a little text instead of sending that dude a little text with your duck face or your legs or whatever else you want to send him. Telling him, I'm thinking about you, baby. I want to meet you at this hotel at this time. It's going to be awesome. Don't tell anybody. Leave the kids locked in a room somewhere. (laughs) Have an affair with your spouse. If you're a guy, have an affair with your wife. Start spending time with your wife. Talk. This is a big one. Talk with your wife. Pastor, you had me up to that right there. Seriously, just talk to them. Instead of going into the office and, you know, get yourself, guys, change your underwear, buy some new ones. Fix your socks up. Dress nice. Do what you did to earn her respect and her her attention when you were dating. Have an affair with your spouse. Begin to invest heavily into your marriage. What you invest in, I promise you, will become a priority to you. Number three is this. And maybe the most important as I get ready to close. Is visualize the destruction. Visualize the destruction see we make decisions really fast and I don't think we ever think about it I get mad at my six-year-old and four-year-old for this all the time wait a second you took a bat and you swung a bat at your brother and you hit him yeah I did all that did you not think that was gonna hurt well I didn't think that far in advance I just swung And my my point to them is, think about the end product. Wait, wait, wait. You're on top of your bunk bed, and you decided to put one blanket on the carpet and see if it was enough padding for you to push your brother off. Now he's crying, and he's having a seizure on the carpet right now, right? Yeah, that's what happened. Did you think about it? No, not really. And you laugh. You're like, your kids are dumb. Yep. (laughs) They are. And I would look at you and I would say, you do the exact same thing, many people in this room. Visualize the destruction. Let me just make it from my point of view, because let me tell you something. There's been times in our 12-year marriage where I have not desired to keep going. Just so you know, I haven't woken up and been like, we fought for three months. My wife's cried about living in Pennsylvania. Everybody in my church has left up to this point and been mad. We live in an apartment. All this stuff's going wrong. Let's stay together. This is the greatest moment of my life. Best decision ever. There has been times I was like, we can't keep going. We just can't. And something has always brought me back to, to, to my commitment beyond my feelings, and that has been that I have tried to visualize the destruction. There's been times since we've had three kids where she would tell you the same thing. There's been moments, days, months, even years, where marriage has just been a fight. It's been hard. there's been times where quickly you have quick experiences of weaknesses where you're like, this is just not worth it. I'm perfect and she's not, because that's what you think in those moments. If I just find another perfect person, my life will be perfect. And by another perfect person, what I mean is they're going to look, talk, smell, act, eat where I like, watch what I like on TV, so I'm going to marry my mirror. And I thought to myself in that moment, what about Carter, what about Lincoln, and now what about Harrison? Is that decision going to be worth them struggling for the rest of their life with the fact that their daddy, who claimed to be a fighter, to live for the gospel, not based on feelings, but based on what Jesus did, is that moment going to be worth it? And every time I've come back and I've said 100% completely no, what's going to be worth it is me and their mom continuing to go. It's going to create security. It's going to create hope. It's going to create value. It's going to create legacy. And that's what I want. I'm not just living for myself. Some of you need to figure that out. If you're a Christian, you are living as a slave or a servant of the Most High. That means your life is is not your own. It's His life. That means when you want to move, when you want to buy, when you want to have a new house, when you want to go on vacation, when you want to invest money, when you want to get a new car, when you want to leave your spouse, you go, hey God, I'm your slave. I'm your servant of the Most High. You bought me at a high price. And all of a sudden you're going to visualize, no, that's not right. I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. I have a growing relationship with Jesus, and I guarantee you, if you do have a growing relationship with Jesus, all those thoughts are going to come in your head and you're going to continue to go. Visualize the destruction. I don't think David did that. So I want you to remember all three of these. But but I want you to come back to some of you, some of you are like, Well, I'm already there, Pastor. Like I'm I'm already there. I've already made that mistake. That hurt is already in our marriage. I've already wondered some of you are single people and you're like you're talking about me getting ready to be faithful to my spouse pastor I got a, a serious lust problem I'm full of shame some of you are girls in this place that are single and you're like I've just I don't deserve anything what you're talking about because I've given myself so often to to men I want to go all the way back to the beginning of this passage and this is what the Bible says it says the Lord replied I've forgiven them I've forgiven them See, God's forgiveness for you is, is for your past, into your present, and covers your future. Because if you're a believer in this place and you're close to Jesus, you know you need that forgiveness. See, there's forgiveness. This is not a message of condemnation. It's not a message of, uh, of me yelling at you. What it is is if you are not here yet, let me stop you from getting there. But if you have already been in this moment in your, in your marriage and you're working through it, I want this to bring even more uh, hope and light if you're in this situation right now I want you to know that there is just one step that you need to make back towards Jesus and you're going to hear the same thing you're forgiven if you've if you've been in this place for a while and you're a single person you've kind of walked away from God's plan for you it seems to be the reason we did this sermon series is because we have so many single people in our church and I think that the number one way that the devil gets people off course is relationships it's just where I'm at for girls, it's, I'm following Jesus, I love Jesus, but I'm really struggling with the battle of self-worth and beauty because I'm bombarded by all these things that people tell me what is beautiful, and all my friends think that they need to have the affection of a male. And so I just need that. And all of a sudden you you let your guard down, you date somebody you're not supposed to date, and I've seen so many girls that God had a promise for their life walk away. And I've experienced it and seen it with many men in this church. Many men. They're single they're on fire for the Lord all of a sudden they got a girlfriend and I kind of because of social media that all of our sins are known right you kind of see this person that person you're like what's going on here because this guy was like really trying to follow you and and I see it so many times it's like Satan's trick to pull us back away from God's plan and I don't want that for you I want healthy marriages. If you, if you go to this church and you have continue to go in the fall, we're going to do a sermon series about healthy kids, about how our kids are the next generation that's going to change this world, and we're building a church for them. But truthfully, we can have a great church, and we can have horrible marriages, and the church ain't going to matter, because great marriages are what change this world. Great godly marriages. That's what this has been about. Would you stand with me all over this house and out of Limerick campus? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me? And I want you to hear that that again. If you're in this place and you're struggling, you're forgiven. You're forgiven when you cry out to the Lord, Lord, save me, rescue me, redeem me. You're forgiven. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far that God forgives your sins. In other words, he forgets them, not because he has to, but because he wants to. So my my plea to you today is don't justify where you're at. Maybe I said something you're like, I don't, I don't agree with that. What I'm going to tell you is I'm only saying things that I've seen to be true over and over and over again. I've watched couples in my ministry walk away from God's plan for their lives. I've watched them wander from their marriages and I desperately desire that doesn't continue to happen. That's what I want. If you already have, what I, what I hope is is if you haven't spoken to your spouse about it and you've kept it locked in and you've kept it underneath, what I hope you would do is I hope you would find the strength and the power through the Holy Spirit to understand that you can't build a solid foundation for the future based on a bunch of lies and deception. So what I hope is I hope you would have the ability to get the help that you need. Satan's one of his greatest things is to keep you locked up In a prison of shame from your past and the only way to be released from that is understanding that God forgives you but he also calls you to repentance and that means when you go and you speak to the person that you've hurt and you allow them to deal with what you've done to them and you work through it and you go through it and maybe some of you in this place God is calling you to that hard step but here's the thing you can't move forward in life God loves you he cares for you he's with you but he's going to keep bothering you and keep going because it's inside of you and it's destroying you. Maybe you're thinking about it right now. Maybe there's a, somebody of the opposite sex that you've been speaking with and you're a married person. You've been walking towards that. Would you, just, would you just build that guardrail up in your life right now? Will the Holy Spirit speak directly to you? And on top of all those things, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, as Pastor John's out at Limerick Campus, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've heard his name numerous times in today's experience, but the Bible says that he doesn't want you to be aware of him. He wants you to be changed and transformed through his gospel, his cross, his burial and his resurrection. And he doesn't ask you to come to a church and sit in a pew and listen to a preacher and be confirmed as a in some denomination in this country. He asks you to follow him. He asks you for everything. He'll take your past, no matter how bad it is. He'll pull you in regardless of your present situation. And he will be with you forever. But you got to give him your life right now. All of your sin, the Bible says, can be forgiven. All of your pain, all of your sorrow, your broken heart can be made whole. All of your pain can have purpose all of your anger and your bitterness inside of you which rages and controls you he can help you overcome but you have to follow him church I hope you hear me because so many people think that they know Jesus but he never asked them he never asked them would you know me no no he asked them follow me and there's so many church people that don't You know you're not following Jesus because right now I'm talking to you about something and God is knocking at the door of your heart. And what you're doing, instead of letting it out, you're pushing it down deeper. Jesus is saying, let go of it. Let me be the Lord and the Savior of your life. Let my death, burial, and resurrection be the foundation through which the rest of your days are molded and formed what you need to do in this moment is you need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you need to follow him the rest of your life taking one step after the next not because you're gonna be perfect but because you want to become more like Jesus he'll change your present he'll secure your future but you have to stop and give him your life right now so if you don't follow Jesus I don't want to say if you don't know Jesus today no no If you don't follow Jesus, if you've never received and experienced the gift of salvation through the belief that he died on the cross for your sins, if you've never recognized who you are and what you deserve in the presence of an almighty God, and you've never bent your knee to him saying, I don't deserve your love, but you've given me your grace, your mercy, and your hope, and I want to follow Jesus forever, this is your moment right here. I'm going to follow Jesus I'm going to receive him as my Lord and Savior. And I think he's going to change me from this moment. What I believe is he's going to do more in this moment than all the other moments and days of your life combined. Right now, right in this moment. He's knocking at the door of your heart. His mercy is new for you. His love has never run out or given up on you. You need to respond to him right now. So no one look around you and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to follow Jesus right here. I want to follow Jesus. I've been coming to church for a while, but I don't follow Jesus. This is my first time here, and I can feel him knocking at the door of my heart. I want to follow Jesus. That you would just simply just place your hand up high and say, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus in this moment. I'm going to follow Jesus in this moment. I see you right here at our Limerick campus. Just keep your hand up high so Pastor John can see you. If you're watching online right now, live or during the week right now, all you need to do is you're driving in your car, pull off to the side of the road, just begin to pray, Jesus, come into my life. If you're in your home and you're watching on the the computer or your TV, just bow your knee right there in this moment. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I'm going to follow Jesus right here. Is there anybody else in this room? Anybody else in our Limerick campus, I would say, Pastor, that's me. I'm going to follow Jesus. Would you pray with me all over this house? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you for what you've accomplished in this room. I thank you for what you've done in our Limerick campus. And Lord, for what you're doing for those watching online right now or during the week. Jesus, your presence is evident. Your word is powerful. Lord, I thank you that it is an encouragement to us today, but it's also a guardrail for our lives where you're not trying to keep us from something, but you're trying to keep us away from things. You're not trying to make our life not fun, Lord, but you have an immeasurably more plan for us. And so, Lord, I thank you right now for what you're doing in marriages, for what you've done through this series, Lord. And I thank you for my friends that right now, they're saying, this is my moment where I'm going to follow Jesus. I've run from him. I've allowed pain and and shame to dictate and control and author my life, but Jesus, you are going to be the author. Of every step that I take. Jesus, I'm gonna, not just going to believe in you, but I'm going to follow you. Every step of my life, I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. And I know that you have every moment preordained for me, Lord. I know you have a good plan and a purpose for me. And I thank you that right now in this moment, you're doing more. You're accomplishing more. You're changing more than we could ever do all the other moments of our life, Lord. But I thank you, Lord, that you can do much through a bended knee and a yielded heart. Lord, I thank you for your presence, Lord. Had you not been here today, no one experiences new life. Had you not been here today, our worship would be empty and void, Lord. Lord, your presence is here at both of our campuses. Your presence is going to continue to be here, Lord. And as we lift up your name, you're going to draw men and women to yourself. And so we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that we have another Sunday. We pray for another Sunday where we can do this again, where we can open up these rooms and we can lift your name up, Lord, and we can open up your word and you are going to draw people to yourself. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for having your way. In your name, amen. Come on, church, let's clap together all over this house.